I see that people who follow Islam are depressed. One of my biggest fears is that the secret police would come one day and they would rape me. This person was healed. He went to the hospital and he has no signs of leukemia in his body. Every step we wanted to take, the voice of the martyrs was a partner in it. Padina was ready to take her own life on live television to show the depth of her devotion to Allah. But the Christian pastor, the one she was trying to embarrass, suggested that she try the God of the Bible for just one week. She could always kill herself later. She agreed, and everything changed. Today, Padina is helping to lead a church movement in Iran, reaching Muslims with the love of the Savior that changed everything for her. We'll learn more about her life and ministry this week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. We're in our studio today with a special guest, someone many of our listeners may be familiar with her story. Uh, her name is Padina. She was featured in the book Iran, Desperate for God. Uh, she was also featured a couple years ago in a video that we did for the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Uh, it is a great privilege to have her with us. Uh, Padina, welcome to our studio. The first time we met uh, several years ago when I interviewed you for the book Iran, Desperate for God, uh, I'll never forget something you said. You said, for you, Islam was a religion of depression and pills. Uh, do you still feel that way about Islam? Do you still see that today? After all these years, my belief that is filled with depression and pills is stronger. And I see that people who follow Islam are depressed. They're killing themselves and they're becoming addicts of illegal drugs. And honestly, the Lord has opened it up to me that Islam is the religion of Satan himself. And I get upset sometimes at myself that when I was following this evil satanic religion, how much of God's heart was broken by it. And this truth has been opened up to me. Padina, you were ready to kill yourself on live television uh, to earn Allah's favor. Uh, what was it that drove you to that point? Because from childhood, I was after Allah and God. And as a child, I followed all the rules of Islam completely without a mistake. And I always told God, I will be one of the first people to come up in front of your face and say I followed all of your rules. And I followed everything that you wanted for me, but you didn't do anything for me. I saw that my life was decimated and my mom was dying and you gave me no hope. So I wanted to do this as a last stamp of approval by him, that I did everything I was supposed to do for you. So everything you told me to do, I have done it. And this is my last sacrifice to you. So your feeling was, if I make this last sacrifice, when I stand before Allah, I can tell him I did everything right. 
and my head is high in front of him. We're going to post a link to the video on our website so people can learn more about Padina's story. And uh, But I want to focus today on, on what's happened since then, uh, because the story tells of her depression. It tells of her desire to end her life. Uh, but what's happened since then? What are you involved in today to serve the Lord in Iran? As the... So we started from step one with my mom. We started witnessing in the supermarket and in the dry cleaners to the fruit stands, and we brought our friends and family to our house, turned on the TV, and we would put on Pastor Homoza's program. They would watch the program and hear the good news. And when they wanted to come to Christ, we would call Pastor Homoza to lead them in prayer. And then more and more people came to Christ in this way. Even the person who was teaching me how to play the guitar, we witnessed to him, and he came to Christ. And then we told this to Hermos. He said it was time for you to start your first house church. In the beginning, I was terrified because we didn't know anything about Christianity. We didn't even know how to teach. We don't know how to worship. And so we watched Gilbert's program on TV to learn how to worship. Pastor Hermos said we had to stand on our fears. It's not you that it's teaching. It is the Spirit of God that is in you, that is working through you. All you need to do is open your heart and open your house, and God will do the rest. So we opened up our house to have church house meetings, and we invited everyone to come to our house. We got some workbooks, What is Christianity and Kingdom Living? And we started teaching out of these workbooks, and leaders started rising up. And now that you have done it in one city, let's go to another city inside of Iran. So we went to other cities, and then God sent us a male leader, which was needed because it is very difficult for women to travel. And this was the son of my mom's best friend. And so by God's grace and favor, he was trusted by my father and by my family to come with us. And this is how we could travel to other cities. So we went to other cities and we started everywhere in the streets, in the stores, talking about God. We would witness straightforward. We talk about Jesus and we would give them a CD that is called God is Love with the New Testament Bible. And then when it became enough people, we would ask one of the people to open up their house so that we could start a house church. And this is how we could start a house church in other cities. Then out of all the people who came to Christ in that city, we would pick one we thought was a leader and we started teaching them privately so they could continue to open up their house while we were not there. And the time we were not there, that person would open up his house and he would teach and serve the people in that city. And then when the city got some good foundation, we would go to another city so we could focus on one city. And once it became founded, we could go to another city. And how long would that typically take from the time you got to the city until you felt like there was a foundation and could move on? It would take two to three months for that leader to take shape and become a leader. We would invite them to our city so we could spend more time with them, and then we would start new works because we were growing at the same time. And everything we learned, we would tell the city leaders, and the city leaders would tell the local leaders, and then the city leaders became national leaders. And this is how the ministry started, from small beginnings to now a very big, fluid ministry. Was there ever a problem culturally for her, because she's a woman, taking this kind of leadership role? Because women in Iran do not have any worth and it is a male-dominated society, women have no rights, and all rights are given to men, and women are dominated by men. For us, it was very difficult because we were two women and we wanted to talk about something very important and very enticing. It could start a very bad fight. 
we would say to them, like an MP3 version, is that what you have been going wrong your whole life? You have been following this wrong religion your whole life, and now we want to tell you the right way of following God, which is very inflammatory. So a man to hear this from a woman, a man who is filled with pride, and there is no humility in that society. For a man, it is very difficult for him to hear that first and then accept it. This was the first problem. The next problem was that I was a single girl doing this, and my father wasn't with me, and that my mom was only with me. So, because I was single and I was only with my mom, men would think other things about me, and they would have unclean eyes, and so that would cause me more problems. This happened in many places inside of Iran, and this made it very difficult for us, especially when we wanted to start in a new city, and we would have to stay with a, in a couple's house, or even sometimes in a guy's house. And either my mom or myself would stay up all night so nothing would happen to us. We were afraid because we didn't know these people. They came to Christ, but we didn't know them very well. And especially in Iran, to be a woman leader is very difficult. Because, but because of this, God has given us a lot of grace in this. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Let me ask you, as a woman, uh, you know, I think many women in Islam are mistreated. What does Jesus offer you as a woman that Islam does not offer? The first thing that Jesus gave me is my identity and also worth. Gives me worth and also makes me know that I am here and I am a real person. The first thing I learned is that men and women are equal. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. He created man, he created woman, equal to him, as a co-equal with each other. And he broke the wall between man and woman. So that bitterness that is between men and women in Islam, that women are always subservient to men, is broken in Christ. And that bitterness is taken away. That anger is taken away. Because they find out in Christ they are equal to each other. They are co-heirs. It doesn't matter if I'm a woman. I can serve with my husband and as co-leaders in Christ. And this was the best thing I received in Christ, this identity that I can be a leader just like a man. Because in Islam, a woman's identity is tied first to her father and then to her husband. All of her worth, all of her identity comes from that relationship with that man. No place in Islam are women worth anything not even in the house. Wow. You're involved in ministry and in, inside Iran. Uh, we know there's persecution there. We know there's very intense persecution there. Do you worry about that? Do you worry about being persecuted, being arrested, being molested, being... Uh, do you have fear about those things? One of my biggest fears is that the secret police would come one day and they would rape me. But after being in Christ so many years, a couple of years ago, a peace came to me about this issue. Because I believe it doesn't matter what kind of sacrifice you give Christ. And this is how I broke my fear. And this is how I broke my fear that if this happened, I would, if I was in the process of being raped, I would say to the Lord, now I give my body as a sacrifice to you. And it is important that they can't touch my spirit and that my spirit won't be broken. And after that, the fear I had of rape was broken inside of me. 
as you meet with your leaders and with the Christians there, do you talk about these things in the church meetings? I mean, do you talk through, hey, the police could come through the door and here's what we're going to do? For everyone that comes into ministry, this is the first thing we tell them. It is that this can happen because this can happen to any person in Iran. And we talk about the triumphant church that I read that that VOM provided that talks about these things. And we actually role play like it says to in the book, because this is the first issue a woman could face when the secret police comes in. And this book and talking about this and role playing has helped a lot. So they actually role play. Okay, the police are coming in. Okay, now the police are attacking me. And they talk through, okay, you're the policeman, you be the policeman, and I'll be the victim. Wow. Yes. Have any of the women, when you've gone through this process, have any of the women ever said, okay, I I don't want to do this? No woman has said, no, I don't want to do this. But there has been a spirit of fear with them because of it. But after speaking with them and telling them, you are becoming a martyr. It doesn't matter if you are a martyr by gun, by knife, or by rape. When they really understand that, then they find peace. How do their husbands deal with this possibility? In Iran, because society is very unsafe, their husbands are dealing with this every day from a society perspective because the streets are very unsafe, and this could happen to their wives as they are ministering on the streets any day. It doesn't just have to be with the secret police. It could just be a regular man doing this. And so they are kind of acquainted with this because the women are on the streets from early in the morning until late at night. They can go in the wrong car, for example, the wrong taxi, or they might get in contact with a dangerous man. They might become abused on the street. We even have had issues of this happening on the streets. For example, recently, there has been acid thrown on women. So the men who let their wives serve They know their wives are on the street from early morning until late at night. They kind of accepted this. So if they weren't okay with this as a society perspective, then they would never let their wives minister at all. Because any second after their wives leave the door, anything is possible. So they offer, really, they offer, just as they offer themselves to the Lord, they also offer their wives and say, because otherwise they would never let them leave the house. Exactly. It seems like the Lord is really doing some miraculous things. Uh, You see, even your mom was healed of sickness. You see drug addicts uh, being healed of their addiction. Um, tell Tell us one or two of those stories of just how God is just blowing your mind with what he's doing. There have been a lot of miracles. One of the things that has happened a lot for women is who can't have kids. All of a sudden, we'll have kids. Actually, so many of these women have brought children that we ask the Lord, well, if all of them are going to bring kids, when are they going to become leaders? Stop letting them have kids. Let them be barren so they can become a leader. A lot of women have had children through the way we witness. One of the miracles that has touched me and still touches to this day that happened in the beginning of our ministry, that someone had leukemia, cancer of the blood, It was his last days, and he was about to die. He was shaking so much, he couldn't even hold a cup. He was shaking so badly. We became friends in a coffee shop, and we witnessed to him, and he came to Christ very simply. And it was during that time that we watched TV to get teaching and also to worship. We never prayed for healing. We just simply laid our hands on him and said, God, 
You are the biggest God, the most amazing God. You created everything so you can heal him, and I know you will heal him. Because we didn't really know how to pray for healing or even pray. So we just prayed like this. God, this is your child, and you say that healing is part of your daily bread. So Lord, heal him in the name of Jesus. Amen. This person was healed. He went to the hospital, and he has no signs of leukemia in his body. And all his records show that he has no leukemia. Within a few weeks, his shaking stopped, and he actually got fat. And then he went to the hospital again. They said he had no signs of leukemia in his body. And because this was one of the first miracles we saw, and we were also in a partnership with God, this has touched me deeply. Should I say a second one? Sure. There was another person who touched me a lot, which was a woman who was in a coma from a car accident. She was hit so hard, the doctor said she was going to die. And then my husband went and prayed for her. And then after he prayed for her, the next day, she woke up. Then she woke up. She said, who is this monster? I heard his voice, and he woke me up. Where is he? And she was looking for my husband. And because I was in a different country when he did this, she came to the country I was in to see me because she wanted to see who this monster was. For me, it was a very powerful experience. For people who are in a coma, basically in a vegetable state, when we pray for them, they do hear from us, and they do wake up, and they remember everything we prayed for them. And when we see these miracles, it shows us how simply and powerfully God shows what a powerful God he is, even when you go and pray very simply for them. And what's important is that you have faith that God will do what he says he will do in the Bible. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. You can listen to every episode of VOM Radio at www.vomradio.net. We don't see a lot of that in the American church. We don't see a lot of people lay hands on sick people and they just get well and and walk out of the room. Why does she think that is the case? One of the things I feel and I see in the American churches is they're fake. Their faith is very limited and very weak. Many Americans say these miracles and signs are for other countries, not for America. But God wants us to see that we have faith in him and that we surrender to him. And when we walk in this power and you empty yourself of yourself, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. God will answer. That faith is important, which is weak in the American church. It's a good challenge for our listeners. Uh, Padina, as we just kind of almost finish up, um, are there particular scripture passages that you go back to again and again as you work in a very hostile, in a very hard place? Psalm 23 and Psalm 91. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we use Psalm 91 as a prayer to protect us. Also, there is a verse that Jesus is speaking that is like a megaphone in my mind when I am in a place that is very scary or I am very scared myself. And he says, Fear not for I will not forsake you. And this gives me peace because I know who I'm looking to and looking forward to. Amen. Talk a little bit, and I know there's some things we can say and some things we can't say, but about how Voice of the Martyrs is helping your ministry. From the first day we started ministry, VOM got involved. The Voice of the Martyrs helped us start cities inside of Iran, 
The Voice of the Martyrs helped us set up conferences, and the Voice of the Martyrs helped us gather believers in places. The Voice of the Martyrs helped addicts and outreaches to the addicts. The Voice of the Martyrs helped us with girls that ran away and that are prostitutes, and also helped them find work and get off the street. VOM also helped us get teaching. The Voice of the Martyrs is a partner that from the beginning believed in us, kept believing in us, and helped us continue, even when times were very rough and dangerous. They were actually the only organization that helped us from the beginning and stayed with us after 10 years. The Voice of the Martyrs also helped when we had persecution, helped us change locations, and helped us come up with bail money. Also, the Voice of the Martyrs helped the families of people who were in jail, helped the wives, the children, even now, VOM is helping us with the case we have right now. They are going to help the family because the husband and wife are in jail, and they have a daughter that's now homeless. Every step we wanted to take, the Voice of the Martyrs was a partner in it. This is why I see VOM as my home and my spiritual parents. It's like a child. We were on all fours crawling, and they were with us, and now we are walking in the Lord. They are still with us, and so we see them as our parents or as our guardians. Uh, thank you very much. The thing I want our listeners to pick up on is there's a lot of stuff that Voice of the Martyrs is doing to help. Uh, some of it we can talk about. Some of it, obviously, we can't. You've mentioned several great ways that Voice of the Martyrs has been involved, and uh, it's our pleasure uh, to be a blessing to the church in Iran. As we finish up, um, we always want to equip people to pray. So how would you advise us to pray for Iran and to pray especially for the church there? One way the listeners can pray is that God blesses our time inside of Iran and protects us. Not that we are afraid of going to jail, but there is such a movement inside of Iran that we can do amazing things. But one way the enemy can stop us is arrest. Because the people of Iran are ready for the gospel, ready to accept Christ because they need it, because there's no hope inside of Iran. So for the church, pray that God gives us the wisdom and strategy of how to witness and how to build disciples and train leaders so Iran will come to Christ and also so Iran will become an ascending nation. Amen. Adina, thank you very much for being with us today. Merci. The first time I met Padina, I was interviewing her to include her story in the book, Iran Desperate for God. At that time, she had been a Christian really for only a few months, but already she had grown in her faith. She was telling others about Jesus. I didn't know at that time that I was meeting a woman who would grow into a giant of the Christian faith in Iran, a woman who would be high on the wanted list of the secret police there. One of the things that Padina talked about during our time today is the TV ministry of Pastor Hormoz. The ministry, Iran Alive Ministries, is one of VOM's broadcast partners, broadcasting the gospel message into Iran each day, uh, taking calls from Iranians who are hungry for truth and love and for the gospel. As Padina mentioned, in the early days of her faith, when she had lots of zeal but was still growing in her knowledge, she would simply invite people over to her house, turn on the TV, and let Pastor Hormos be the one to share the gospel with people there. So uh, this is a great partner, a great ministry, Iran Alive, uh, working to broadcast the gospel via satellite television into Iran. 
I want our listeners to know that you can learn more about Padina's story in the book, Iran Desperate for God, and in the video we did of her story. It's simply called Padina. We released it a couple of years ago for the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We'll link you to those resources from our website, vomradio.net. I want to ask you to do something for me. Will you join me in praying for Padina? The work that she and her family are doing in Iran is dangerous work. Uh, the government would love to get their hands on her. They would love to get their hands on her husband. Uh, this is dangerous frontline gospel work, and I just encourage you, pray for Padina, pray for her husband, her family, uh, that God would watch over them and protect them as well as that they would have fruit for the work that they're doing. She shared some of the stories of the amazing things God is doing. Uh, pray that God will continue to do those things and uh, continue to build his church inside the country of Iran. We've got a question that came in this week via email from Amy in Owego, New York. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Amy. Uh, Owego or Owego, New York. It came by email from vomradio.net, and Amy would like to know, what is a typical church service in Nigeria like? Good question, Amy. I was in Nigeria on a Sunday. I did go to church with my host there. Uh, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the church service that I went to, and I'll assume it's somewhat typical. I, I'm sure there's a great variety of service styles in Nigeria, just as there's a great variety of service styles in the United States. But uh, what I remember about that church service in Nigeria is a couple things. Uh, the first thing I remember is the security. There were uniformed security people outside of the church. They were uh, young people that were just out there kind of keeping an eye on things. They were monitoring uh, what cars were coming and going, what people were coming and going. Uh, basically, just a, a very basic security measure. On the way to church that morning, I remember we passed a church and uh, they literally had closed down the street in front of the church, and all the cars were parked out in the street. That particular church didn't allow cars to come on the property. They didn't want cars close to the building because of the threat of a car bomb, the danger there. So uh, they literally closed half of the road in front of the church, and they turned it into a parking lot on Sunday mornings because uh, the danger was real. So one of the things I remember about the church was the security situation and I know there are churches there that have armed guards. The place where I was, they were not armed. They simply were uniformed and, and watching over things. The other thing that I, I think I'll always remember was the music in the service. Uh, there was a lot of music. There was great music. Uh, there was a band in the service. There were people singing and clapping and dancing and just really going all out to praise the Lord. Uh, those are the two things that I remember about that service in Nigeria. Otherwise, uh, I, I felt very at home. You know, there were songs, and, and then the pastor brought a, a Bible message, and then there were some more songs, and, and then we uh, shook hands and fellowshiped and left. So uh, those two things, the security and the music, uh, I think were the things that really stuck out in my mind about the service that day. Thank you, Amy, for asking your question from New York. If you have a question that you'd like to hear us answer on VOM Radio, you can contact us through the website, uh, it's vomradio.net. You can also call our toll-free comment line, 1-800-757-5069. So online at vomradio.net or by phone, 1-800-757-5069. Thank you, Padina, for being our guest this week. Uh, again, I encourage listeners, pray for Padina. 
Pray for her work. Pray for the nation of Iran. Thank you for being with us and listening. You can catch all of our episodes at vomradio.net. Uh, so you can catch back episodes there. You can share them with your friends off of vomradio.net. If you tweet about this episode, use the hashtag vomradio. Uh, that way we'll be able to connect with you on Twitter. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Mm-hmm.